You can take your Bibles and turn along with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 4. Last chapter of the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. God is so good and merciful to us. On top of everything else, He invites us to bring all our needs, all our concerns, all our worries to Him in prayer. Prayer is one of the Christian's greatest gifts from God. God's Word repeatedly provides us with incentives to pray, reasons to pray, promises and assurances that God hears our prayers and that prayer is powerful and effective. This morning, Paul shares with us a call to prayer. He summons the church to prayer. And he does so because he believes in the power of prayer. Paul asked the church at Colossae to pray for him in our text this morning. To pray for him because he's aware of his own neediness. Because he's aware of his own weakness and inability. And because he believes in the effectiveness of the Christian at prayer. Prayer is one of the Christian's greatest gifts. And sadly, it's one of the most neglected of God's gifts. So this morning... All of us, I believe, stand in need of this call to prayer. This reminder of the effectiveness of prayer. This recollection that we are all in need of prayer. So look with me, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it, with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Lord, to think that we can address heaven and have heaven hear us. These things are too wonderful for us to really comprehend, to fully appreciate that the God who created all things and who we have supremely offended by our sin and rebellion nevertheless invites us to come to him. To lay our burdens at his feet, to 
Cast all our cares upon him because you care for us. Thank you that through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only are we welcomed before your presence, but you give us the promise that you will hear us and you will respond in accord with your mercy and grace. Thank you, Father, for your graciousness to us in prayer. Hear our prayers. Answer our prayers. And drive us to greater and greater prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Very simply this morning, I want us to grow in our prayer life. To grow in our desire to pray. To grow in our activity of prayer. So, I want us to break this passage apart, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4, into four questions for growing our prayer life. Four questions which will help us to grow in our prayer life. There's probably not a one of us that doesn't need to grow a little bit in our prayer life. If you've arrived, then we'll give you a class and you can teach the rest of us. But most of us need to grow. So the first question to ask ourselves in growing our prayer life is, am I growing in devotion to prayer? Am I growing in devotion to prayer? Paul begins the conclusion of his letter with this call to prayer in verse 2. So he's beginning to wrap up this letter. And as he does so, before he finishes spilling the ink here, he wants to be sure to ask them to pray. He wants to summon them to prayer. To call forth the power that exists within the body of Christ through prayer. And so he says, devote yourselves to prayer. There is nothing better he could ask of them than for their prayers. Paul began this letter to the Colossians by sharing with them how he regularly prayed for them. If you look back at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul writes to them and says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Paul had never been to Colossae. He'd never met most of these folks, but he'd heard about them. And upon hearing of them, he had a burden for them. He had an immediate love for them as brothers and sisters in Christ, and he began praying for them. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And now in chapter 4, as he begins to conclude this letter, Paul calls his readers to grow in their own devotion to prayer. A devotion that Paul himself has modeled for them. And he says here, be devoted to prayer. The English Standard Version has, continue steadfastly in prayer. That's a little softer. 
Continue steadfastly in prayer. It's nonetheless accurate. This is a call for Christian prayer. Not many of us could say this morning probably that we are satisfied with our prayer lives. And that's actually a good thing. If you were satisfied, you probably have a different problem going on. And that's probably pride or something like that rooted in your heart. How much prayer is too much prayer? Think about it. How much prayer in your life is too much prayer? I suppose there might be the odd duck who uh, is so dedicated to prayer that they're neglecting their home life and their work life and other responsibilities that God has given them. I've never met an individual like that, but I suppose, hypothetically, you could pray too much. I don't think many of us are in danger of that. You really can't pray too much. Not really. So there probably isn't a single one of us who doesn't think their prayer life could use a bit of a tune-up or an infusion of freshness. And here, the Bible gives us just such a tune-up and just such an infusion of reinvigorated life. This call to devotion to prayer is a call that goes out to all of us. Be devoted to prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And no doubt most of us, if not all of us, could stand to grow in terms of our devotion to prayer. So under this heading, I want to uh, share with you a few ideas of how to grow in our devotion to prayer. It's one thing to say, be devoted. The next question is, how? How can I grow in my devotion to prayer? Well, let me give you a few suggestions. First of all, believe in the power of prayer. Believe in the power of prayer. That will help you become more devoted to prayer. That will help you continue steadfastly in prayer, believing in its power, its effectiveness. James 5.16, of course, says, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And then right on the heels of that statement, He proves it by sharing the example of Elijah from the Old Testament. In James 5.17, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was just a man like you and I. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. Now that's a rather dramatic example, is it not? To pray that weather patterns would be changed, that the normal course of operation would be halted, and that there would be a drought for a period of three and a half years. And then God answers that prayer. It does indeed stop raining, and it doesn't rain again until Elijah, the man of God, prays again and the heavens bring forth rain. The point of that is not that you can control the weather with your prayers so much. 
as that prayer is effective. Prayer is powerful. Prayer makes a difference. Throughout the Bible, we see the truth that prayer is effective. Our prayer may not be answered immediately. Our prayer may not be answered exactly in the way we thought it would. But rest assured, God always answers the prayers of his people in accord with his will. He hears us and he responds perfectly with just the right answer to our prayers. Every time. If God is sovereign, and we know He is, and if He knows all things and has determined the end from the beginning, then we must ask the question, why should we pray? I mean, it's all laid out, right? Well, I think there's a few really good reasons to pray. We should pray because God commands us to pray. And if there was no other reason than that, that would be enough, would it not? God has commanded us to pray. It must be important. He doesn't command us to do things that are unnecessary. He doesn't command us to do things that we're unable to do. He commands us to pray, so we ought to pray. But there's more reasons than that. We should also pray because Jesus modeled himself a life of prayer. For us. Jesus, the Son of God. If Jesus was dependent upon prayer during his lifetime, are we better than Jesus? Do we got things more in control than he did? Do we have more resources at his command than he did? No. The third reason we should pray is and understand better is to, is to understand that prayer is one of the primary means God has chosen for the accomplishment of his divine ends. Yes, God is in control. Yes, God knows the end from the beginning. Yes, it's all planned out. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't use means to accomplish his ends. And prayer is one of the means that God has chosen to use to accomplish his divine ends. So when you pray and you ask God for things, you are in effect working with God in the accomplishment of his divine purposes and ends. And he is using your prayers as the means for such accomplishment. Now that's mind-blowing. It's wild to think about. Bingham Hunter, in his excellent book, The God Who Hears, says this, Prayer is the means God uses to get what he wants. Think about that. Prayer is the means God uses to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. J.I. Packer put it this way, and this is a mouthful, but there's truth here. Prayer is God's foreordained path to fulfilling his foreordained plans that accomplish his foreordained purposes. I'll read that again. Prayer is God's foreordained path to fulfilling his foreordained plans that accomplish his foreordained purposes. You say, well, prayer doesn't really do anything. You know, God's got it all worked out anyway. No. 
You are the means of accomplishing God's divine plans. And your prayers are an essential part of that. The bottom line is this. You don't have to understand how it all works. You don't have to understand how prayer works to know that it works. I don't have to understand every aspect of how my car works in order for me to get in, turn the key, and get to my destination. It just works. And so it is with prayer. It just works. You want to grow in your devotion to prayer? Start by believing that prayer is divinely designed to be powerful and effective. Another way to grow in your devotion to prayer is to realize your own powerlessness, your own neediness. It's another reason, I think, for our prayerlessness is we think we've got it covered. Oh, I'm good, God, thank you. I've got it covered. I can handle it. Another byproduct of being from the Midwest. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We talked about Midwest nice. Part of being Midwest nice is you don't like to ask people for help. Because you don't want to inconvenience them. You don't want them to feel obligated. And so you don't ask people for help. And you get yourself into all kinds of bad situations. Because you don't want to ask people for help. So it is with prayer, oftentimes. We don't pray because we don't think we need the help. We don't want to ask for help. To ask for help is to admit, I can't do it myself. I can't handle this one on my own. Oh, maybe if we ever get in a real pickle, then we'll throw up a prayer at the last possible moment Because we've exhausted all other possibilities. But for most of life, we think we can do it on our own. We think we can handle it. And the reality is, we can't. Our enemy is too great. Our flesh is too strong. Our willpower is too weak. And the world is too broken. For us to do it on our own. Why would we even try? We're fooling ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. And it's the lie of our stubborn pride. We foolishly think we don't need God's help. So we arrogantly go about our lives without asking for God's help. But when we truly understand our need. Our powerlessness. And our need for dependence upon the Lord, that will spur us on toward greater devotion to prayer. Ian Bounds said this. He said, prayer is the language of a man burdened with a sense of need. Lord, I need you. I need your help. Not just in the big things, but in the everyday things. In the everyday stuff of life, Lord, I am insufficient on my own. I will make a mess of things. I need you, Lord. Help me, Lord. 
Prayer, if it is anything, is the expression of a humble heart realizing its great need. Realize your own powerlessness and that will grow you in devotion to prayer. Grow in your sensitivity to the needs of others. That will also help you grow in devotion to prayer. Grow in your sensitivity to the needs of others. Another reason we neglect prayer is because we're too often unaware and unmoved by the needs of others. We're self-focused, self-absorbed. And we fail to realize the real needs that are all around us. Everywhere we go. Needy people. There's never a shortage of things we could be praying about. Not in our own lives and certainly not in the lives of others. Part of growing as a disciple of Jesus is loving others in Jesus' name. That's in our mission statement. We're a gospel-centered community committed to making disciples. Disciples who love Jesus and love others in Jesus' name. So part of being a disciple is loving others in Jesus' name. And part of loving others in Jesus' name is to pray for them in Jesus' name. As we grow in love for others, we'll grow in sensitivity to their needs and their concerns and we'll seek to bear their burdens with them in prayer. Grow in your sensitivity to the needs of others and you'll grow in your prayer life. And then, if you want to grow in devotion to prayer, begin to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. That's scripture. It may sound familiar. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. In the parallel passage of Ephesians 6.18, the parallel here of Colossians 4, Paul writes to the Ephesian believers, he says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. There's a lot of alls in there. Pray all the time for all the saints. Now, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? How does one do that? Is it really possible to literally actively pray at all times? Without ceasing? I'm someone who has difficulty doing two things at once. I'm, I'm going through, we had barbecue yesterday at the, at the work day at Arrow West. And I'm going through the, the line and I'm filling my plate and people are asking me questions about my kids. And I'm I, like, I had a total mental breakdown right there, right there over the barbecue sauce. I, I couldn't continue because I can't answer the questions and decide what I want to eat at the same time. I'm a mess. How in the world could I pray without ceasing and do all the other stuff I got to do? 
So what is Paul calling for when he says pray without ceasing? When he says, I, I haven't ceased praying for you since the day I heard of it back in Colossians chapter 1. What does that really mean? Well, Paul isn't saying that at the moment of our salvation, we begin praying and that lifelong prayer never, ever finds an amen until we die. And you hope you're able to slip an amen in there right before you gasp your last breath. Is that? That's not it. No. That's not what Paul is saying here. So what does Paul mean when he calls us to pray without ceasing? Well, it means we pray and we don't give up. It's part of what he means here as well. To devote yourselves to prayer. To pray and don't give up. Be devoted to it. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up just because you haven't gotten an answer yet or it doesn't seem like you've gotten an answer. Don't give up just because you didn't get the answer you wanted to get. Be devoted to it. Continue steadfastly. Pray without ceasing. Keep on praying. We've prayed for the salvation of people for years and years. As a church family, we've prayed for these folks. And they seemed far from God, so far, so uninterested, at times so hostile to the things of the Lord. But we just keep praying. We don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know if it's going to work out, but we keep praying. And we pray in faith. And the Lord answers. The Lord is gracious and merciful, and he's brought many of them to faith. Praise God for that. Pray without ceasing means don't give up. Keep praying. But I think it also means that we make prayer not just an event on our to-do list, not an event on our calendar, but an attitude of ours throughout the day. An attitude of dependence upon the Lord. An attitude of, of prayerful dependence where we are conscious of the Lord's presence in our lives. Where we are constantly communing with Him and praising Him and thanking Him and bringing requests to Him and enjoying Him. An ongoing conversation. Pray without ceasing. Want to grow in devotion to prayer? Then make it less of an event and more of a lifestyle. Begin to pray without ceasing by not giving up on prayer and by living daily in an attitude of prayer. So ask yourself this morning, am I growing in my devotion to prayer? Do I believe prayer is effective and powerful? Do I understand rightly my own powerlessness, my own need of the Lord's strengthening? Am I sensitive to the many needs that are around me? Am I praying for those folks? And am I praying without ceasing? Grow in devotion to prayer. It begins by believing in it.
Believing God's word in it. Prayer is an expression of faith. You believe God hears and that God will act on what he hears. So the first question is, am I growing in devotion to prayer? The second question to ask ourselves, am I growing in alertness in prayer? Am I growing in my alertness while in prayer? Here again in chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. Stay awake. Keep alert. This is a call to attentive, watchful prayer. Which suggests some real intentionality here, some intensity to our prayer. When Paul issues this call to alertness in connection with prayer, he almost certainly had Jesus' call to prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane in mind. You remember that? On the eve of Jesus' crucifixion, he called his disciples together, particularly James and John and Peter, and he asked them to pray and watch with him throughout the night as he labored in prayer. Let me just read it for you. You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26. Matthew 26 and verse 36. It's a bit of, a, bit of an extended passage here, but I want you to see it. Matthew 26, 36. Pray and watch. Watchful, attentive prayer. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Notice the prayer of the Lord here. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40, And he came to the disciples, and he found them, what? Sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and he prayed saying, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 43, again he came and found them, what? Sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now back to Colossians 4. The disciples were sleeping and resting when they should have been watching and praying. They didn't realize the need of the moment. They didn't fully grasp their neediness. 
And they were lulled by the lateness of the hour and the darkness of the night into sleep. Ever feel that way? I sit somewhere and close my eyes for three seconds and I'm ready to drift off into sleep. Some of you can relate this morning. I'm looking at you. I see you out there. (laughs) Hey, the Lord knows we are but dust. He knows we're tired and weary. But he still calls us to an alertness in prayer. To be intentional about it. To to, to make plans and pray in such a way that you're not just constantly drifting off into sleep and mumbling and not sure where you've been or where you're going in this prayer of yours. So let me share a few tips for alertness in prayer. And this is just common sense probably, but. While we pray without ceasing and we have this conversation with the Lord, that doesn't mean we don't have times of prayer that are more intense, that are more focused, that are time that is set aside. It might be five minutes. It might be 10 minutes. For some of you, it might be an hour. But whatever time you spend in prayer, in this devoted prayer, pray at a time of day when you are at your freshest. When you are physically most alert. I don't know when that is for you. Most of us probably in the morning sometime. Some of us it could be around the noon hour. Maybe some of us it's in the evening. And there's fewer distractions and things like that. There's a lot that goes into this. But generally speaking, a good principle is pray when you are the freshest. When you're most alert physically. Next, pray at a place where you're not likely to be distracted. Young moms, that can be tough. There's distractions all day long with the kiddies. But they go down for naps. And before you take your little nap, siesta during the day, spend a little time in prayer. Pray at a place where you're not likely to be distracted. Leave your phone behind. Next, pray in the position that best encourages alertness. For some, that may be sitting. For others, that may be kneeling. For some, that may be standing. Maybe it's walking. Maybe it's while you're jogging. Where you are, you feel the blood moving through your body. And you're alert, you're aware, and you're not struggling to stay awake. And then pray using helps. Utilize helps. Maybe for some of you it's praying the Bible. What does that mean to pray the Bible? It means take a psalm, for instance, and you just you read a few verses and you and then you respond in prayer. Maybe thanksgiving, maybe it's praise, maybe it's a request of the Lord. But you you use the Bible to guide your prayer. Maybe for some of you it's using a prayer list or a prayer journal. 
Or maybe it's using an outline in your prayers, like the Acts outline that most of you are familiar with. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Acts. Use these helps. Whatever helps you, remain alert. But the greatest help to alertness is to realize the true nature of the world we live in, of the enemy that is out there, and of the power and effectiveness of prayer itself. That'll help keep us alert. Am I growing in alertness in prayer? Thirdly, am I growing in thankful prayer? Am I growing in thankful prayer? Again, Paul says, Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Am I growing in thankful prayer? The Christian's prayer life is to be filled with thanksgiving. One of the distinguishing marks of a, of a believer is thanksgiving. And one of the distinguishing marks of an unbeliever is ingratitude. Paul recognizes this thankfulness in the Colossian believers. He already said this about them. Look back in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. Look at this observation he makes about them. Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. As Christians, they were overflowing with gratitude. Their cup overflowed. Their gratitude cup. And yet he continues to call them to a life of worshipful thanksgiving. Look at Colossians 3, 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be what? Thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with what? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Three verses, three calls to thanksgiving. Clearly, this is to be a part of our lives. As Christians, clearly we have a lot to be thankful for. Thanksgiving is not to be some occasional activity for the Christian. We don't just give thanks to God on the fourth Thursday of November. For the Christian, every day is Thanksgiving, amen? So one of the greatest ways to grow in prayer is to grow in gratitude. And one of the greatest ways to deepen our prayers is to grow them in thanksgiving. Giving thanks to God, expressing thanks to Him for all He's done. What do you have to be thankful for? The correct answer is everything. Give thanks in everything. Everything you have and even everything you don't have, and even everything you didn't ask for but God anyway, everything, grow in gratitude. 
And then the final question this morning. Fourthly, am I growing in gospel advancing prayer? This is found in verses three and four. Am I growing in gospel advancing prayer? In calling the Colossian believers to pray, Paul takes the opportunity to call them to pray for him. Essentially, he says here, pray for me. Pray for me. Verses three and four. Paul knew he needed the prayers of others and he wasn't embarrassed or shy about asking for their prayers. If Paul needed it, don't we? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, a man with incredible intellect and ability. Specifically here, Paul asked them to pray that God would open up to us a door for the word. Open up a door for the word. That's that's a metaphor. And it's, it's not infrequently used with respect to the gospel. That God would open up doors. That he would make opportunities abound for the spread of the gospel and the changed lives and hearts of individuals. Paul is using this metaphor, the door of the word, door for the word, to speak of opportunities for gospel advance. That the word of God and the good news of Jesus Christ would spread all around. That there would be open doors. That where before doors were closed, now in response to the prayers of his people, God would open those doors that were formerly shut and the gospel would be received gladly and with great joy. Praying that the gospel would spread. The gospel which he describes here as the mystery. The mystery of Christ, which he's talked about previously in this letter. The good news that both Jew and Gentile can have their sins forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is still the same good news today. That you don't have to die in your sins. That all of your sins, all of your guilt before a holy God can be forgiven and wiped out. That great gift is received simply by faith. Trusting that God's promise to us in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross is true. And resting in the finished work of Christ for your salvation. Paul knew what good news this was, but he also knew there was a natural, spiritual resistance to this good news. There was a systemic and systematic resistance to this good news in the world. That governments would rise up and they would say, no, don't bring that message here. Paul's suffering right now as a result of that. He's he's a prisoner That's how he describes himself. For which I have also been imprisoned. He's writing to to us from Rome here. In his first Roman imprisonment that lasted for two years, he was under house arrest. He wasn't free to come and go as he wished. But as he said elsewhere, but the gospel is not chained. The word of God is not chained. The word of God is able to go forth. 
even as it was in this letter to the Colossians. Paul is simply asking that there would be more open doors, more opportunities for the gospel to spread. And so Paul asks them here to pray strategically for gospel advance, for open doors. In asking them to pray for open doors, Paul is asking them to pray for providential meetings, for favor with authorities, and for the right words to speak in the moment, for gospel partnerships to form that would help to reach the unreached, for Holy Spirit-empowered gospel preaching that would penetrate hard hearts and open blind eyes and get through to deaf ears. Paul also asks that they be praying for him, that he'll make the gospel clear in his preaching and teaching. And this should be every gospel preacher's heart as well. Every evangelist, every person who shares the gospel, Lord, help me to say it right. Help me to represent you well. Help me to be clear. Help me not to bring confusion. Help me to leave out anything that would be unhelpful. Help me speak your glorious gospel in the way that it ought to be spoken of. That is reflective of a heart of humility. A heart that understands this task is too great for me. It's beyond me. Lord, I need your help. And in fact, I need the help of everyone here to pray for me that I might speak it as it ought to be spoken of. That I might say it with clarity. That I might speak forth the truth with authenticity and with power. Paul went right, he went right to the source of strength, which is prayer. And he enlisted the help of his brothers and sisters in Christ to bring about what he alone in his own strength could never do. Brothers, pray for me. Be devoted to prayer. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as will that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've also been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Prayer is nothing less than And not much more than saying, Lord, help. Lord, work. Lord, hear our prayer. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of your word that you do hear us. And that prayer is effective and powerful when prayed in faith. Lord, help us to grow in our faith and demonstrate that faith through prayer. Lord, forgive us for thinking we can do it on our own, for believing that we've got it covered, we can handle it. Lord, 
Setting foot out of bed each morning spiritually is the most perilous thing we can do. If we truly understand, understand our neediness and our weakness. So let us begin each day, Lord, with a, a prayer as we rise. Lord, help us. Lord, be with us. Lord, guide us. Lord, be merciful to us. Lord, grow our faith. Lord, grow us in thanksgiving. We need you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.